Mai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. On today's programme, we meet our new bishop. Well, that might just be a bit misleading. He is our new bishop, but he's not the permanent new Bishop of Sodran Man. He's the Right Reverend Mark Davis, Bishop of Middleton in the Diocese of Manchester, and it's he who will be taking care of the Anglican Church on the island until the next Bishop of Sodran Man is chosen. And we'll meet him after another hymn for this season of Advent. Lo, he comes with clouds descending.
the St Michael Singers with a hymn for Advent, these weeks of preparation for the great celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, the selection process has started to find the next Bishop of Soder and Man. But meanwhile, the business of running the diocese has to carry on, and it'll do so under the leadership of the Right Reverend Mark Davis, Bishop of Middleton in Manchester. Whilst not actually living here, Bishop Mark will always be available to be consulted and will visit the island for particular events and meetings like the recent Synod or business meeting of the Anglican Church. And his visit for that gave me the chance to meet and chat with him. I wondered firstly how he'd been chosen to take on this extra responsibility. Good morning, Judith, and also to all our listeners. It's Really good to have this opportunity to talk with you this morning and thank you so much. So I was sitting at my desk, a phone call came and it was Bishop Peter who said, hello Mark, and I said, hello Peter, and pleasantries. And then he said, um, I've got something to ask you. I'm about to announce my forthcoming retirement and I've been talking to the Archbishop of York about a commissary bishop and I wonder if you might consider it. So I said, gosh, um, express you know my good wishes for Peter and Gail as they looked to their retirement and thanked him for the opportunity and of course said yes it would be my great pleasure and blessing and privilege to serve in that capacity and um, paperwork came from the office in York I signed Bishop Peter signed the Archbishop signed and everything was set in place. Well, now, you're the Bishop of Middleton. You are the suffragan bishop in the Diocese of Manchester, which means you are there to assist the bishop in the diocese. So you've already got a full workload. So this is going to be kind of being two bishops at once, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, yeah. But I think, you know, in God's good providence, it's fantastic. There are so many people here in the Diocese of Sodra Man. It's my great joy and delight to be working alongside, so working very closely with them, looking forward to doing that. Two places as the focus of the ministry in these coming months, but glad to be here. Let's talk about you. Did you always know that God had a call on your life? What was your background growing up? Did you grow up in a Christian household? Yeah, I grew up in a Christian household. I'm very thankful for that blessing. My grandmother in particular was a woman of profound and deep Christian faith and a very prayerful woman. I will always be so very, very thankful to God for the gift of growing up in that Christian home where prayer was so central to everything uh, and the life of the church, its mission and its ministry, its outreach into society was so vibrant for me as a child growing up. And I can remember sitting with my granny and my mum on a Sunday morning looking up at the altar as about a child of about 10 or 11 and knowing in my heart, not being able to verbalise it, but knowing in my heart that as I looked up at the altar and the priest, that was somehow who I was to be. And that sense of God's call remained with me going forward. I I grew up in a very working-class environment, of which I'm so very, very thankful. You know, my parents made huge sacrifices for me in so many ways as I was growing up. This idea of mine that I told no one about, about this sense of vocation to the priesthood, I told no one about. Eventually, I found the courage to share my secret. And I was devastated when I was told that boys from my background didn't become priests in the Church of England. And I was devastated because I believed that with all my heart. And that's why I have such a passionate commitment, first of all, to parochial ministry, 
and also to the Ministry of Education and Schools because it was my vicar and a head teacher and two teachers who opened doors of opportunity for me to be able to pursue that sense of vocation to ministry and for me eventually to be ordained. So this boy from Stoke did become a priest in the Church of England and I'm so very thankful for all of those who journeyed with me and enabled that to become a reality. And as I look back, I'm so thankful for all of those on my journey who have been there at different stages and who have been voices of encouragement, voices of challenge, those who've offered opportunities for service. And looking back, I'm so thankful for those, but also conscious of the ways in which each and all of us can be those voices of encouragement for others today. You know, where are the doors that we can open for other people to explore the call of God on their lives, can explore Christian faith for them, can go deeper into that faith, deeper into a life of prayer, deeper into a life of Christian service. So each and all of us have those opportunities. As a parish priest, I was also part of a DDO team, a diocesan director of ordinance team. So I've worked very closely over the years with a range of people who have been exploring the call of God. Was it to ordination? Was it to read a ministry? Was it to another form of lay ministry? Uh, and to have the great privilege of being alongside people as they explore that sense of vocation, where it might lead, has been such a joy and a blessing for me. And also to be able to encourage that range and that diversity in the church's ministry, you know, so that we don't just see uh, ministry as one particular kind of person or one particular range of gifts, but the whole diversity of gifts that God is blessing his church with in those that are being called to ministry, ordained and lay. It's so, so exciting. After your ordination, you had quite a, a wide range of, of experienced parishes in Yorkshire mm. and eventually became archdeacon, a role that, that takes you into all the churches in a yes. diocese yeah. and, and looks very much at every side of, of parish life. Mm -hmm. And then the call to a bishop, you were consecrated bishop in 2008 at the same time as a former Bishop of Soda and Man, Bishop Robert, Robert Patterson. Yes, I remember that day very, very fondly. And again, in God's providence, I became part of a bishop cell group, the same cell group that Bishop Robert was part of. And I remember visiting him and Pauline here on the island as part of the Northwest Bishops regional meeting that they hosted on one occasion. So, yes, it was a great, great day looking back. And just the other day at the Synod, uh, someone gave me a copy of the diocesan newsletter around the time of the ordination, and there was the photograph of the three bishops that were consecrated on that day, myself, the Bishop of Bolton, and Bishop Robert for Soda and Man. It was the first time for a very, very long time that they'd had three bishops consecrated in York Minster. Yeah, it was a glorious day looking back. So now, Manchester, you have said that all dioceses have things in common. They may mm. be very, very different geographically, yes. but yeah. they have similar kind of situations. Mm. Yes, I think one of the areas of my ministry in Manchester is that I'm blessed to chair at the moment Greater Manchester Churches Together. That brings together, a, you know, the whole range of churches across Greater Manchester. And one of the really interesting things is that as church leaders, when we sit down and we're describing our own situation, as I listen to the voices of sister and brother Christian leaders, we could actually be describing each other's situation because some of the issues that we're facing are so very, very similar. 
be to do with falling numbers in our congregations or the absence of children and youth and families or difficulties around historic and ageing buildings or finances or um, the number of people coming forward for ordination and for lay ministry. Very, very similar issues before us. But also, I think we have to be very realistic about the challenges that we're facing but also have our eyes open to the opportunities that we're facing. We have great opportunities before us, you know, and and the Lord Jesus has promised to build his church and he's faithful to that promise. He will and he is building his church. Do you think that we've got to look at different ways of building it? I think for me, the answer is always in God's providence, both and, not either or, and holding together, pioneering and fresh expressions of the church's life, mission and ministry together with very traditional and much loved patterns of service, of ministry and mission, at both and in God's economy, so that we can really speak into those opportunities that are there before us. And, and it's interesting, I think, very often when I look back over church history, when you see moments of great revival in the life of the church, it's often begun on the margins with a Francis or a Benedict who saw moments of tremendous revival in the life of the church. You know, the call of God to St Francis, build my church, as he knelt and prayed in a derelict church building. It's the call of Jesus to people of every generation, build my church. And from the edges often, amongst the poor, the disadvantaged, those who feel there's no room for them in the life of the church. God will and is building his church, and we can have confidence in that and look to the future with that sense of confidence, not in ourselves and our own ingenuity and our own bright ideas, but in the promise of the Lord Jesus that he will and he is building his church. When you were speaking to us at Synod, you mentioned that you enjoy spending a lot of time in schools. Is education and relating to teachers and children a particular importance to you in your ministry? Mm, yes, it is. Uh, and perhaps, you know, as I said, going back to those teachers in my own experience, they were so critically important for me. In the Diocese of Manchester, I'm privileged and blessed to chair the Diocesan Board of Education. We have 192 Church of England schools and we educate 65,000 children and young people. And right from the time of our second bishop, who came to the Diocese of Manchester in 1870, Bishop Fraser. He was chosen to be the Bishop of Manchester because he was an educationalist. He'd written three significant reports, very influential reports for Victorian England on the place of education and schools and the importance of children. And so Bishop Fraser arrived with this very strong commitment to build schools, and he did. And right from that time down to today... The place of schools in the diocesan life has been very, very important. But I think schools generally, you know, I'm so, so delighted post-COVID to be able to be back in schools visiting. Uh, But not only our Church of England schools, but also community schools that I'm getting increasingly invited into. And I take all of those opportunities whenever I can. It's so good to be in those communities to support and encourage staff teaching and non-teaching, to to express our thanks for them, for all the ways in which they are door openers. They are world changers every day. Their work changes the world. They open doors of opportunity that nothing must close for those precious children. So I love being in our schools. 
You've also indicated that you like to relate to the young people. Generally, what what are the issues that they want to talk to you about? I think, you know, when Jesus puts children front and centre, he does so for a good reason. When he says to us that we must learn from them if we are to inherit the kingdom of heaven, they will show us the way. They'll lead the way. Our children and young people are amongst my best teachers. They have opened my eyes time and time and time again. There's often moments of hilarity in in those school visits, like the little boy in Oldham who said to me, Bishop Mark, what time does your man make you go to bed? And my first thought to the, when, I, when that boy asked his question wasn't anything but that child knows my mother because she still tries to tell me what time to go to bed and, and all kinds of other things as well. But I tell you this, in, in thousands of school visits now, there haven't been any where the questions of life and faith haven't emerged very strongly. Bishop Mark, will you tell us what God is like? Will you show us how to pray? My mum's poorly. My dad's poorly. Horrific situations that some of our young people are facing. They open up. Care for creation comes out top in terms of their concerns. The whole area of mental health and well-being and the kind of culture that we're creating that is causing such, you know, such serious issues for our young people today and into which I believe the church can and must speak with a message of hope. So those visits for me are absolutely wonderful opportunities. Yes, to offer something, but also to learn and to listen and to take seriously the cares and concerns, the joys and the sorrows that are being shared with me. But in a way, listening to you, it's completion of the circle because you're going right back to the school where, where you were, when you felt that, that even when you couldn't formulate it, that there was this call on your mm, life. Absolutely. And you're going back in the schools and having the opportunity to say to these young people, there is something bigger out there and anything is possible. You can embrace absolutely, this. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, we've got a number of secondary schools and, and something that I've so enjoyed doing and been blessed in doing is leading pilgrimages to Teze in in France on one occasion I took I think the largest group I took were 130 the smallest group were maybe 24 now some of those children came with little or no experience of the church's life mission and ministry let alone of monastic prayer so they went from that to three times a day in the community church in Teze for the prayer. At the heart of that prayer is 10 minute silence, profound silence. And there hasn't been a single visit when at some point one of our young people have said to me, Bishop Mark, why do the monks make the silence shorter? It's never a second shorter. We learn to inhabit it as a place of profound encounter with the Christ who is longing to be discovered in that place and to be there with tens of thousands of young people from across the world and to see our young people forming friendships building community opening and exploring avenues of christian faith what it means to to be a christian what it means to offer christian service and they come from so many diverse backgrounds together with the phone and the sense of community and when i look back now i'm so thankful to god for for all of those visits to Teze, and I look back over the Diocese of Manchester and now beyond, and I see people exercising very beautiful Christian ministry. Some of them are ordained, 
Some are teachers, some are police officers, some are working in the medical profession, some are working in social services. I've had the enormous privilege of presiding at some marriages and baptising the children of some of the people that came in the early years. And so much of it is about building Christian community, which I think, you know, rejoices the heart of God. The Taizé story is is incredible, isn't it? That Mm. it grew out of the Second World War. First of all, they sheltered people who were fleeing persecution. And then it was a desire to pursue peace. You know, the story of Brother Roger himself, the brother who founded it, he gave his life for it. He made himself vulnerable and died. But it just carries on. Yes, it does. Uh, And, you know, they've now got a new leader of the community, Brother Matthew, who is an Englishman from Bradford, an Anglican, as it happens. But again, one of the joys, one of the, I think, profound joys of Teze is that the community is ecumenical. Uh, People from a range of Christian churches form a community, united in Christ. And that's a strong message to the world where we can so easily find ourselves in a place of disunity and of distance. And what Teze says so, so wonderfully to the world is that together we have so much more to offer. And so, you know, that's why I'm so thrilled to be part of Greater Manchester Churches Together and why, in my own ministry over the years, working together with other Christians is so important, as also working with those of the other faith communities and those of no faith, but people of goodwill. And together, we have so much to offer. And such a witness for you to give where there are areas of social unrest and tension, racial tension. Yes, when we stand together, we are so much stronger. And there are voices, you know, that long to separate us from each other, that long to sow division amongst Christians and amongst those of other world faiths. But how much stronger are we when we stand together, when we resist those voices of separation and say, actually, we will be honest, we will be absolutely honest in confronting the difference between us. We will find ways of being able to have those conversations about our points of difference, but we will not allow them to separate us from each other, nor to weaken our commitment to our communities and to the world that Jesus Christ gave his life for, and to which he sends us as his church and his people, as a servant community, ambassadors of Christ-filled hope to a hurting world. And that message is as true for the Diocese of Manchester and for the Diocese of Soda and Man. Bishop Mark, thank you very much indeed for talking to us today. It's been my great, great pleasure and blessings and prayers and and good wishes for the Diocese of Soda and Man in these coming months, our Advent journey, the joy of Christmas and so much to look forward to with hope and with confidence. And thank you so much, Judith, for this opportunity. It's been great to talk with you and uh, God bless you. Yeah.
thank you to the Reverend Mark Davis, Bishop of Middleton in Manchester, and now also the Bishop who will take care of this Anglican Diocese until a new Bishop of Soderan Man is appointed. Bishop Mark mentioned taking young people on pilgrimage to the Monastery of Taizé in southern France, a community of monks of all denominations founded after the Second World War and dedicated to praying for peace and unity in the world and in the Church. Taizé is incredibly popular with young people who spend time there in their thousands, as Bishop Mark said, experiencing the peaceful, prayerful life, learning to embrace silence and in the appeal of the meditative chants, like the one that's playing in the background now. Bishop Mark also mentioned that Taizé has a new prior, or leader, of the monastic community. He's Brother Matthew, the first Englishman ever to take on that position, and in one of the first interviews he's given, when he shared stories of his own background and his faith, I sensed some real similarities between Bishop Mark and Brother Matthew. See if you agree. first heard of Taizé when I was 16 years old and there was an invitation from our diocese for young people to go and I thought I don't want to go there it sounds too holy um, but then when I went to university uh, there were other young students who were very much searching for Christ in their lives and the time at university was a time of great discovery for me and in our town there was a prayer group that met for the students in the cathedral where they sung the songs from Taizé and that was really my first introduction to, to Taizé through the music and, and this form of prayer it was something that spoke to me immediately that you were, you were together with others but at the same time you felt you were alone before God. I'd always been someone who'd enjoyed singing and this meditative way of singing letting the, the words of the song go deep into your heart was a way of, of entering into the presence of God. When I was studying, there was a time, these words of Jesus come and follow me. What does that mean for me? Does Jesus still say to people today, come and follow me? Or were there words that were just said 2000 years ago? And with these friends at university, we were looking for a place to go during the summer holidays. And some of them been to Teze and suggested we come. And so uh, that was my first visit in 1985. And we took part in the youth meetings, spent a week on silent retreats as well. And it was a very deep and moving experience for me. And I think, if I'm honest, there was something that happened in my heart already that first visit that I couldn't yet put into words. And I went back to continue with my studies and then finished with some exams. I had some free time. And what happened during that stay was very important. Really, this understanding that here the brothers were trying to live a sign of unity in Christ. I knew that Jesus prayed for the unity of his disciples in John's Gospel. And it seemed to be something very coherent with the gospel and there speaking with the brothers I asked if I could take a year free from my studies and so I came here and then yes very quickly it was 
clear in my heart that I had to take this step. Friends, they were very supportive. Um, for my family, it wasn't so simple, you know, um, because uh, they didn't know Teze. Um, but my parents, they're, they're people of great faith. And, and, and I knew that once they'd been here, they would understand. And they did. And, and they've been very supportive ever since then. And I think, you know, God places people on our path who help us, who support us. And, you know, even when there are moments where we don't know how to continue or we think, you know, I've done something that means that I, I, I should really reflect on what I'm doing. They're there to carry us, to help us find that way forward. It was a surprise, I'll be honest, and one where I wasn't sure immediately if I could say yes, but Brother Alois was very kind and, and, and took time. And then I spoke also with some, some other people from outside of the community, and I realised that I could accept this role, which is a role of service. In Teze, the prior is called the Servant of Communion. And that expresses very well his role. He's there in order to listen to the brothers and to be a sign of unity, to do everything so that the community can live this parable of community together. And I think when I think of all these people over the years who've, who've, who've been there, it helps me remember that God is faithful and that we can rely upon that and that somehow what's needed will be given. It's not the denomination which is the prime factor in the choice of the prior but i think each one of us brothers can say that we're very thankful for the churches we grew up in mm. and we carry something of the treasure of those churches in our hearts always and that influences quite naturally the way that we are yeah i'm very thankful that in the anglican church there is this very broad welcome which is offered and the hymn singing tradition as well it's something I grew up in but you know in the Anglican church like in many churches it's a question of how to point the way to Christ how to live united today not in order to to be stronger or to impose our opinions but so that the gospel is credible and I always come back to that prayer of Jesus in John's gospel that those who follow Jesus may be one, like he and the Father are one, so that the world may believe. Yeah, and that's a huge responsibility, not only here in Teze, but for all the churches. You know, what does it mean to live that sign today?
Music from the Teze monastic community and some thoughts from the new prior, a Yorkshireman raised in the Anglican tradition, Brother Matthew. And if the thought of a time of quiet reflection, simple prayer and Teze chants appeals to you, then Dolby Church will warmly welcome you for exactly that, tonight at half past six. There's an Advent candlelit Teze service remembering the Prince of Peace who comes to our troubled world. Thank you to my guests, Bishop Mark Davis, who's taking care of the Diocese of Soda and Man until a permanent appointment is made, and Brother Matthew, prior of the Teze monastic community. And we end now, as we always do, with a look at our notice board, packed with special services where you'll be warmly welcomed as we make the most of this season of Advent. Bride Methodist Chapel invites you to their nativity service today at half past two. It'll be followed by coffee and mince pies. There's no service in Abbeylands today as the church family will be at Union Mills Methodist Chapel for their service with Musicale Choir and it starts this afternoon at a quarter to three. There's a traditional service of nine lessons and carols this afternoon at three o'clock in Peel Methodist Church. The choir and choristers from the cathedral will provide the music and His Excellency the Lieutenant Governor Sir John Lorimer and Lady Lorimer will attend along with members of government and representatives of the island's wider community. Carols by Candlelight at Maloo Parish Church starts today at three o'clock. Christmas music, Manx carvels and readings with Castletown Metropolitan Silver Band, Kirjin Kujak and soloist Terry Qualtro and there'll be refreshments to follow. Tonight there's a candlelit carol service at Glen May Methodist Chapel. It starts at half past six and will be followed by tea and mince pies. At the Dune, the church on the Ramsey to Laxey Coast Road, there's a candlelit service tonight at half past six. It'll be led by Reverend Joe Dudley and will include the children of the Dune School. Also tonight at half past six, the Gateway Drama Group will be in St Andrew's United Reform Church to perform their nativity. St Andrew's Church is on Glen Crutchery Road by the St Ninian's Traffic Lights here in Douglas, with plenty of off-road parking and easy access to the building. And the Gateway Group will be back in St Andrews on Tuesday night, the 12th, for their carol service starting at half past seven. And St Andrews finish off their busy week with a Christmas coffee morning on Saturday the 16th from 10am until noon. £2 admission includes refreshments and there'll be stalls and a raffle. Back to Tuesday the 12th and Ramsey RNLI have their carol service and lifeboat blessing at 7pm this Tuesday evening in Our Lady Star of the Sea Roman Catholic Church on the Queen's Promenade just by the lifeboat station in Ramsey. Also on Tuesday the 12th at 7pm there'll be carols by candlelight at the Cool Chapel on the edge of the Isle of Man Business Park. This will include singing by Mrs Christine Brugazzi and the young people of the church with refreshments afterwards. And because the Cool Chapel is so close to the business park they'll have a short lunchtime carol service especially for those who work on the business park on Wednesday the 13th at a quarter past one. It'll be led by Reverend Steve Ingrell with readers from nearby businesses and there'll be refreshments too. On Wednesday the 13th there's a Christmas carol service with Onken Silver Band starting at 7pm in Onken Methodist Church. 
and on Wednesday the 13th, it's Carols, Candles and Cake at St Peter's Craigniche. It starts at half past seven, but come early if you want a seat. This is a very popular service. On Friday the 15th, there's a Christmas coffee morning in Onken Methodist Church from 10 until 12 noon. Manx Voices present Christmas music from the British Isles on Friday, December the 15th, with special guests Christine Collister and Graham Kirkland. It's in St George's Church here in Douglas. It starts at half past seven and admission is £10, including refreshments. And finally, on Saturday the 16th, Agnish Chapel invites you to call in between 10am and 12 noon for Christmas coffee or tea, mince pies and a chat. And you probably won't be at all surprised to know that I've got 11 more pages of notes about crib services, concerts, Christingles and all kinds of other special events to tell you about. But that's all that we have time for now. So I'll have a lot more notice board news for you when I come back later in our virtual lounge tonight from 9 o'clock with our usual mix of easy listening music, your requests and your dedications. And I'd love you to join me if you can. So, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you and those you love a blessed and peaceful week and a very good morning. Mm-hmm.